And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Back to Back Pod on the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Nerder She Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo DeKeel and Seth Hartnett. Are you ready to be entertained? Hello and welcome to a special trade deadline edition of the Nurgishi Road podcast on the Back to Back podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Dave DeFord, joined by Mo DeKeel, Seth Partnow, and special guests, Sam Amick, and to start the show, Marcus Thompson. Marcus, uh, we got to jump right in because so much stuff happened today. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, how are we feeling? Man... It, it this is probably the first time in a long time like out here in the bay the warriors have made a move and we've been like wow the warriors got fleeced <laughs> right yeah like they they've drafted some players where it's like i don't know if they're going to work or you know they've had some things not go well but trades normally they get the better in but this one is like yo you just got played by minnesota Wow, like that. I, I didn't see that coming. I thought they would hold out. Um, I thought they would just wait until they got what they wanted. And in the end, it looked like they got less than what they wanted. So it's it's a weird time in the Bay on top of being 12 and 40. So the Warriors, Warriors fan base is just taking L after L after L, it seems like. Yeah, I should say for the people that don't know, uh, the, the Warriors made a trade with the Minnesota Timberwolves. D'Angelo Russell, Omari Spellman, Jacob Evans for Andrew Wiggins, a 2021 top three protected first round pick and a 2021 second round pick. And it just seems like this is not the trade that they wanted. Um, We had heard that they valued D'Angelo Russell quite a bit. I mean, obviously they, you know, they hard capped themselves this season, which, you know, they've, they've been suffering because of for D'Angelo Russell and it seemed like they valued him internally. Sam, you mentioned in the in the fantastic NBA trade deadline blog uh over at the Athletic which is a great recap with analysis from from yourself and from John Hollinger. You mentioned seeing uh guys from the Warriors in Sacramento checking out Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, it was it's interesting in hindsight guys um because it's Kings wolves. I guess this would be Monday night. And, uh, as you guys know, one of my favorite parts of this time of year is as you get closer to the deadline, if you go to an actual game and you know, people around the league, you can look up on press row and different team officials can't really hide. And and you don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to start figuring out who's there to do some advanced scouting because a, it's going to be an advanced scout. And then B the team they represent, will be playing one of the two teams, you know, playing that night, if that makes any sense, most of the time. So when you look up like I did and see uh, two guys who definitely stand out in the scouting crowd, uh, Zaza Pachulia, Mike Dunleavy. So Dunleavy is the assistant GM under Bob Myers now. 
uh, and working with Larry Harris as well. And Zaza as a consultant, kind of, you know, a guy who's part of everything they do in some kind of tangential way. And those guys were at this Minnesota game. Um, I think it's fair game to share now. I, I mean, I chatted with them briefly that night and, and was kind of walking that line of, I'm not going to walk right up. And I know Zaza pretty well and, and say, you know, Hey, so is this a Wiggins thing? And, but we did eventually kind of get there and talk about Andrew that night. And we, we had just a casual chat about the hypothetical at that time of, of Andrew being within their walls. And I mean, it's, it was the type of conversation that I think everybody would assume considering that they did the deal, which is yes, they do think that uh, even with all the reservations that people have about Andrew, that their culture, you know, all the different people within their program, the championship fabric and the idea that it's going to be the rising tide that lifts all boats is going to get Andrew to a place where he's worth, you know, being part of their program. Um, I'd be curious to know, like what was the ceiling on what they wanted, what they asked for. I mean, that first that they're going to get is a pretty good one. Um, you know, the second is kind of whatever. And then they, they end up getting under the tax in this deal as well. But uh, I think certainly like Marcus said, a lot of question marks. Yeah. Uh, Seth, it, it seems like from the Warriors perspective, they are banking on the fact that D'Angelo Russell just really isn't that good and isn't going to make a huge difference for the Timberwolves. Um, why are the Timberwolves so, you know, just dead set on getting this guy? Is it is it really just the Carl Anthony Towns relationship, or or do you think they see him as a useful player there? Uh, clearly, they do. You don't give up that pick with that light protections on it uh, if if you don't. Um, you can kind of clearly see the structure of what they're going for. They're going to run, you know, spread pick and roll with they they acquired two really good shooters yesterday and uh, Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez, assuming they, they keep them this, this off season, which, you know, tangentially nobody seems like they're going to have cap space this summer. So restricted free agents are probably staying booked. Um, I, I think I'm going to go the other way on this than a lot of people. I really kind of like the warrior side of it. I think that, that as far as the players go, they're kind of a wash. And then that, 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 you know, lightly protected pick is just a huge, I don't want to say lottery ticket, but it's a, there's a lot of upside there for golden state and a lot of downside there for, for Minnesota. Uh, they're going to be just atrocious defensively next year. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and, and, just wait until they trade and, for and, Devin Booker. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, you know, so I, um, I can see a lot of logic in in being short the Timberwolves uh, post this deal, yeah. uh, and that's where that's where uh, Golden State is. And the 2021 draft is pretty good too. Dave, I was going to jump in real quick with a follow for Seth, um, since you know you and and our, our colleague and pal John Hollinger are two of the the cap experts in our group. John wrote that the Warriors were facing fifty million dollars in repeater penalties. I wonder if you could break down that aspect of this deal real quick. Certainly. So, uh, uh, John is, is more expert on the cap. I'm probably conversing on it rather than expert on it, but essentially the, the, the CBA rules are if you are in, uh, the, the tax, uh, multiple times over a number of years, um, there, there's extra dollar for dollar penalty and it's, it's graduated. So like, okay, uh, in normal luxury tax, the first dollar you're over, you're paying an extra dollar. Uh, and then after a couple million, it jumps up to a buck 50 and so on. Now, when you get in the repeater tax where you've been in the tax multiple times in, in previous years, there's an additional dollar per dollar. So that if you're, you know, the Warriors with the team they put together previously with, with, you know, Steph and KD and so on and so forth, 
uh, had had been in the tax a number of years, even just being a little bit over the tax was going to get real expensive real fast because of those repeater penalties. And so just ducking under for a year to kind of not reset that clock, but but set it back a little bit is is pretty useful just from a financial. And, you know, at a certain point, uh, you start talking 50 million, um, you know, it's it's hard to wag your finger at it at, at the owners and say no you got to pay that much it's kind of a result of what they're getting in the trade getting back in the trade as well just kind of just a little bit of tax relief is almost it's got to play a role in this to a degree right well they got below the tax so they won't be uh taxpayers they can fill out their roster with minimum deals and still stay below the tax so i mean just from a just cap maneuvering move this is great for them but mo you and i are two guys that refuse to give up on on players. I think Andrew Wiggins might actually be okay in Golden State. Really what the Warriors are doing is they're betting on their culture. They're betting on the fact that we can figure out Wiggins. And that's kind of a big bet for me in 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 my opinion just because I feel like sometimes that stuff comes from hubris. Every organization feels like they can fix the guy and the other team wasn't using him right. You know, they have guys like Steph and and Clay and those guys are really helpful but I don't somebody kind of remind me I don't feel like Wiggins did all that well under Jimmy Butler you know and and the pressure he constantly put on him and we know Draymond's going to do the same thing to him I think they're different guys though I I think that the the way that they operate is a little bit different And, and you know Marcus could speak to this um you know when he gets off the phone but uh from from what I hear Draymond was fantastic with the uh, with Marquise Chris uh, has been really good with some of the other young guys on the Warriors. It's a different thing. No, no, but it's easy to do that this year when nothing's on the line, right? Like when it's next year and they're going for a championship. That's not the same as what he was. What he was this year. Like I, I can see him kind of being. Now, hopefully, I I love Draymond, so hopefully, I think he he'll he'll be a positive influence and continue to push Wiggins. But I'm not sure necessarily like this is a big bet. And it's the situation, too, is if if he doesn't pan out, he's you're not getting anything for him after that. I would land and I don't have Marcus's Warriors hat, but I'm around them a lot. I would land here with your point. Yeah, Draymond's going to have some tough moments with Wiggins for sure. I mean, you know, the the over under on that is probably a high number, but he's part of this Warriors program to a serious degree. And I think that is the distinction between he and Jimmy. Jimmy was in that Wolves room looking around thinking this ain't for me. Once he, especially once he knew that Tibbs was kind of getting run out. Uh, I think that is an important fact. I also definitely think that Draymond's never going to change his stripes. He's always going to be that guy who probably says more than he should. He's too unfiltered and, and who has tough moments with teammates, but he's not a stupid man either. He just, you know, the, the impact he had on Kevin Durant, and their time there uh, is going to have some sort of impact on him going forward. Uh, even the other night when they played Brooklyn, you know, the video kind of caught Kevin and Steph with their big man hug for 30 seconds. And, and Draymond seemed to get a little bit of the short shrift. You know, he, he knows that within that organization, uh, you know, he cannot afford to, to have a negative impact on a guy like Wiggins. But I mean, Wiggins, though, the stuff that where he's got to look in the mirror is just I mean, forget if he's teammates or Draymond or anybody else. Is just, you know, it's that whole idea that you watch him compete and you want to know if he's got a pulse on a lot of nights. And, and that, whether it's Draymond, Steph, Clay, Steve Kerr, like that's just not going to fly in that culture. The, the part that's interesting about this is whatever they're saying they're going to do to, to, to Wiggins is what they said they were going to do with Russell. And 
five months after the dude shows up for camp, they're like, yeah, nah, we can't do it. <laughs> so either Russell is that unredeemable or they they can't do what they what they say they can do, right? This expectation that you can take a player and somehow put them in your system, teach them your championship ways. They're 0 for 1 in that sense, right? And and granted, you got, you got to say this. There is no Steph. There is no Clay. So they've been playing with G leaguers and minimum guys. So that that's part of me why, like before before I go in on the whole Russell was trash, like he was basically put in an impossible situation and then given no patience. It's like you don't. I need you to get us through one of the worst seasons in franchise history. Uh, we need you to be our Steph Curry substitute, but we also want you to work on playing off the ball and developing your game. And we want you to do this with like Alan Smilajic, right? As your second best player, <laughs> you know, like it was, and, and also we just might trade you come February. So don't, um, don't unpack your bags. Like I don't, may, maybe Wiggins has a better chance because he won't be playing in that environment, maybe in that environment and you know, who Russell is and how he is kind of quiet and a little different, Here's what I'm willing to bet that Draymond has said, I got Wiggins. And since it's closer to position, maybe that's a better fit for Draymond. Well, I do think that there's some opportunity with Wiggins and, and we'll see him put into some uh, new positions. Like I, I expect he'll, he'll play quite a bit of four. I wouldn't be shocked if we see him playing some small ball five here and there. I mean, it's it's not like he's not athletic enough to do it. Um, I, you know, I worry about whether he's got the, the strength to do it, but you know, we'll see. I, I'm sure Steve Kerr is going to experiment. But my biggest concern with Wiggins offensively, and, and Seth, I want to talk to you about this because we just talked about, you know, shot charts and shot selection. Wiggins has done a good job this season of improving his shot selection. Um, it, it's a, it's much better. And the Warriors lean in on this mid-range. Even without Steph and Clay this year, they are third in the league in percentage of shots from the mid-range. Uh, that is a big concern for me. I think that's more a function of them just not having a lot of talent on the floor this year. I think with when they get kind of the the their their real team back, sort of with Steph and Clay and Draymond and and kind of whatever else they they, they can piece together, they still have the Iguodala trade exception to use. You know, going into next if if they if they kind of hustle with it going into next year. Um, I think he's going to be, you know, get maybe like the Harrison Barnes diet of shots rather than than kind of being asked to do as much as he has been in uh, 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 Minnesota. So I, I think that he does just from a, a, a style of play and position standpoint, I think he has a better chance to fit with what they want to do than Russell did. I thought like from the moment they 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 signed and traded for Russell, I thought that was a really weird fit. To play him with, with you know, with, with Steph and and Clay and and like he has the Russell has the makings of being a good off ball player, but you're kind of missing some of what makes him uh makes him good to the extent that he is, and he also doesn't have a lot of inclination to to be you know a spot up guy. Uh, whereas Wiggins, uh -huh. I think you know he's lost enough that you can say okay, no, you come off cuts, spot up. Uh, occasionally duck in for a post-up and hit the offensive rebounds. We're not putting the ball in your hands anymore. 
And that's the part where his game has been lacking for much of his career. And so they're going to take that, that that's going to kind of go away a little bit. I do think that's an important point and an important distinction is that part of Russell's troubles with the Warriors and just like it is with most dudes off the ball is just a desire to master it. You know, I wrote in my piece, like Russell was saying, like, this is hard. Like I've, this is the, I've for five years, I've been a guy with the ball in my hands and now they want me to play a style of play that I know is not the best me. So some of it is just a desire to do it. And it's what made Kevin Durant so great is that he could basically switch off the ball and be like, yo, I'll be just as good. And it's just not easy for so many other guys to do. So I do think a big component will be how much, how much Wiggins is willing to do it. And I, I don't know him at all. So I can't say that he's not, but, D'Angelo Russell admitted that that part was tough for him. And also, it's a little bit different to go off the ball when it's Alec Burks on the ball, right? Right. <laughs> you right. know, it's like it's Kai Bowman. And you're like, man, hold on, man, give me the rock. Uh, when It's a little bit easier to swallow when it's Steph and it's Clay and it's Draymond. And you kind of know your place. So, you know, th- they could be right about it. The part that really surprises me about this, though, is that, you know, they have this new arena. Uh, Chase Center is this new like money maker for them, and everything is kind of geared around making Chase. Everything is supposed to be, and a big part of that is basically trying to figure out who, how are they going to either extend the careers of their stars or uh, find a find a replacement, find somebody who can like pick up the baton once they get too old. And Russell was supposed to be the chip to do that, that prevents that that gap, like those years of wilderness, right? Like if, if they if they do it with cap space, that means they got to get rid of Steph or Clay. In order to be able to avoid that, they needed a player that they can get in on this roster while those dudes are 33, 34 and kind of take over. It feels like they gave up on that with this. It feels like they realized it wasn't going to happen with Russell. And I don't know, unless they somehow believe they can go and get a star player with Wiggins, I don't know. But it feels like Russell was the better chip. Did they sell too early on Russell? I think so. I wonder if they, they put out feelers and they felt like the, the market really just wasn't there. How can you do that right now? You don't know what the market will be in June. And plus, it doesn't even matter what they think about Russell. It matters about what you can make other GMs think about Russell, right? That Like, that's what matters. You telling me if Philly flames out in the first round of the playoffs or second round of the playoffs, you telling me Ben Simmons ain't going to be available? Like, you don't know. It could happen, right? You just, like, we've seen the NBA market shift on the whim of an athlete who just doesn't want to be somewhere anymore. They basically are saying, like, here's my take is, they're saying, yeah, whatever. That's not going to happen. Let's just go with what we got, which I thought is a little bit early. And an opportunity to, to duck the tax. But so, like, looking ahead to the summer, they still are, have that trade exception from the Andre Iguodala trade. Um which they're, they'll have like a 24-hour window basically to use. Um, how do you see them adding on to this team, you know, going into next year? I think they, they start using these picks and they stock up. I know that's one of the philosophies was let's just start getting, like replenishing the talent. They've literally got like eight dudes now on the team, so they have to do that anyway. But they're banking on being able to hit them draft picks. Uh, they do have this the exception – I think they will have the mid-level now, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I do feel like 
knowing them and how they think, they always feel like a trade can be pulled off. So I do feel like there's a part of them that believes we'll make Wiggins look good and then we'll, <laughs> we can always trade him if we need to after a year. Right. Uh, this is just how they think. They feel like they can pull all that stuff off. So maybe they feel like that's a chip that they have that they'll be able to use at some point. I still don't think, you know, a Draymond trade is off the table. Maybe they're thinking that. Like if, you know, if we got another opportunity, maybe we can dangle Draymond. Uh, they, they they just this is this is a little bit of Warriors confidence at it'll work out in the end even if they take this hit on this one like in the end they'll they'll know how to kind of bounce back and it, you just wonder I mean they're so leaning on Steph and Draymond and Clay to turn Wiggins into something you just wonder like how long can you keep expecting expecting that at some point you kind of got to get somebody who's actually really good. And I don't know how they're going to be able to do that, but they figured it out before. So maybe, maybe we can give them some leeway. They do have like three championships. I'm torn on, I'm listening to Marcus, you break it down. And I hear most of what you're saying. The thing, if you're them though, you you don't know the entire D'Angelo Russell market and you can't pretend to know what it might look like this summer. Uh, you know, that's just a fact. But it did seem like you only had one thirsty GM coming after him, just one. There was only one squad that had eyes for D'Angelo, and you knew that last summer when you, you kind of took him out from underneath him when he was out on that helicopter ride through L.A. with the Wolves officials, and, and he was telling the Warriors he was coming, and you knew that now. And you see the level of desperation on the Wolves' side. And you know I saw earlier today uh, Arsham Sharania had an interesting little – tidbit about how Bob Myers called the Wolves after they lost their 13th game in a row and basically said like hey listen another tough night at the office for you guys like why don't we try to get this thing done and and so they jumped on it and I just don't know you talk about patience like there were rumblings and you're closer to it than me but that D'Angelo just from a human level was starting to tell people like you know if we're doing this let's do it I don't know if I want to be a guy who's just got a, a big sign on his head for an entire calendar year that says I'm a piece and I'm a guy who's going to get relocated. I don't, you know, Bob Myers, we know how he can be very sensitive to those dynamics. I don't know if Bob was feeling pressure uh, as the former agent to just get that player to a better spot. There's a lot of layers to it, but I, you know, I don't know that the market was going to get a whole lot better going forward. So fleece the ones who want them. three the draft one- picks out of them dudes. So the one thing to push back on is that this summer's free agent class is going to be very limited. And there aren't many teams with money, but it's going to be hard for teams to improve. Um, and, and this goes for Wiggins or, or Draymond being traded as well. You know, if Wiggins comes in and finishes the season strong, there's a chance that the Warriors could convince somebody this summer that, hey, this guy, this is a different player than, than what you've seen in Minnesota. All you got to do is put him in the right situation. So I, I kind of get the gamble. I don't know that it's going to pay off, but I, I can at least put my put my head there. And now they have a twenty twenty one pick to work yeah. with. They got an extra pick, so it, it can, they can make it more enticing by having a potential lottery pick in what is being deemed a better draft. So they will have their lottery pick this year. They will have the Wolves' possible lottery pick next year, and Wiggins and whatever young pieces are left on the roster. I mean, that's not significantly worse than what they could offer with Russell, but so still might not be enough to get anybody. Yeah, I got to say, I feel better about this trade from the Warriors uh, perspective after we've talked it out. Uh, Marcus Thompson, thanks, man. Appreciate you uh, dropping in because uh, 
I definitely needed to know what was happening on the ground there. All right. So joining us to uh, to break down the big Clippers trade is Jovan Buha, our Clippers beat reporter. Uh, Marcus Morris, Isaiah Thomas going to the Clippers. Jerome Robinson going to the Wizards. And Maurice Harkless uh, in a 2021st going to the Knicks from the Clippers. Um, Jovan, how does this change the Clippers? And do you feel better about this team as we look ahead to the playoffs? This gives the Clippers another floor space or something that they really needed. Um, I think one thing that people haven't really talked about them, you know, or enough with them has been the lack of, of floor spacing at times, especially with that starting unit. If you look at the starting unit, Avica Zubats is, you know, basically a roller, someone who's only going to play within six feet of the basket. Patrick Beverly, though he has improved throughout the season as a shooter, isn't someone that defenses necessarily respect. And then Mo Harkless is definitely someone that defenses don't respect. So that starting unit sometimes wasn't as effective as it probably should have been on paper because of the, the cramped floor spacing. I think Marcus Morris is going to alleviate that. I think he is someone that, if you look at his numbers over the last couple of seasons, he's been one of the best high-volume three-point shooters. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if that translates to L.A., but... Uh, you know, shooting almost 44% on threes this season, uh, which really puts him up there with with anybody uh, on nearly seven attempts per 36 minutes. So I think for the Clippers, everyone is focused on the center position and the point guard position. But I really think those aren't as big of issues as people think. Uh, you know, point guard, it's going to come down to Kawhi, Lou, and PG in the playoffs. I think the team is confident that those three guys can handle the offensive load. And you know, maybe they added Darren Collison or, or Trey Burke or, or one of the, the point guards that are now going to be available on the buyout market. And then the center position, really, like I, I think, you know, Montrez Harrell is, is one of the best backup bigs in the league. Avica Zubats has quietly developed into one of the better rim protectors and, and rebounders in the league. I think they should be fine in that position, although they do now have two roster spots with the waving of Isaiah Thomas. So I really thought it was that kind of wing position where if you looked at Mo Harkless, Landry Shamit, Pat Beverly, Rodney Magruder, they could have upgraded that spot. And I think that's what they did with Marcus Morris. So if you go back to the summer, I think everyone kind of you know, universally agreed that the Clippers won the summer. I think they won the trade deadline too, because they really were the only contender that got significantly better. You know, Denver made some moves and I think you could look at a couple teams and say they got better on the fringes. But to me, Harkless to Morris is a big upgrade. And I really think the Clippers should be the favorites right now. I kind of want to chime in a little bit, Jovan, just because I've been one of the believers that they've needed a center. Um, I've said it on your podcast about every time I've been on it. But I think the the one thing that worries me about Marcus Morris is he's a bit of a ball stopper. And they already got two guys that are going to stop the ball, three when Lou Williams is on the court. So, you know, that's kind of my concern with him on the offensive end. What I like on the defensive end, though, is – he is another guy that could throw at LeBron. He can handle the post-ups, you know, that when LeBron posts in the paint on those guys. And, and and I think that's an important thing there. I'm more concerned about him fitting in offensively just because of that. Like he's shooting an incredible number with New York, 40, 43% from three, almost 44. But like when I look at it, it's like I feel more like I look at his Boston years and 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 that's more what I feel like they're getting. And I'm not sure necessarily I buy into it. A lot of times it gets swung to him and he just holds on to it and doesn't make that next pass. I mean, it is an improvement over Mo Harkless, who, I mean, besides having one of the best names ever, uh, you know, <laughs> just couldn't, you know, just couldn't hit shots enough. And and, and that's going to be a key thing for them. I know Doc values shooting, but I'm worried about the ball movement 
which Doc was already touching on last night in their game, talking about how much better ball movement was. I feel like he's the anti-ball movement piece there, and that worries me. I think Doc, though, I, he's not he's going to be able to get through to a guy like Marcus when it comes to not being a ball stopper. Um, and I just like this option for them better than any of the other options that that they were poking around on. You know, one a few weeks back that I thought was interesting. They were doing some some homework on uh, Bielitsa in Sacramento, looking at him as another guy who could stretch the floor. Defensive concerns essentially got them off of that. They poked around on the Covington front. Uh, obviously, he ends up going to Houston. Um, I'm leaving one out, but I mean, they were they were poking around in a bunch of places, and I just think. Marcus, when it comes to being an impact player and a guy who just the, the grit factor and the way he competes and the way he's going to fit in with kind of this junkyard dog type roster that they have, I think it's good. And and the biggest thing, as Jovan knows, is that they obviously hold on to Landry Shamit here, which is that's who the Knicks were trying to pluck away from them. If, if you give up Shamit in this deal, you know, then you end up talking about maybe a net negative, but they they were able to hold on to him. And how do we how do we feel about their title odds. I mean, Seth, um, it's it's extra shooting. It's another guy, another body they can throw at LeBron in the playoffs. Uh, I don't feel like it's a huge. I think it's an upgrade. I don't know if it's a huge needle mover. Um, to everything, I I I'm more on on Jovan's side in terms of of the impact of the shooting. The, the Clippers don't really run an offense that has a ton of you know flow and continuity anyway. So the fact that that they have one more guy who who might not move the ball super well, I mean, his job is to is to you know stand on the wing and when when Kawhi or PG or or, or Lou Williams breaks a defense down to then hit a shot, um, and that's that's they they play a, ver- a fairly station to station style, and I don't think that's going to change just based on on the personalities. Uh, respecting most point that yes, he is a ball stopper. This is also an environment where being a ball stopper doesn't hurt as much as it would if it was a more kind of floor reversal uh multiple actions kind of kind of situation. I will agree with Mo that I thought their bigger need was was a center. Um you know I think Zubats is a is a nice player. You know you talk about a guy not being guarded. Um I've seen them play the the, the Bucks a couple times. I've seen them play the Lakers a couple times and they just you know they just kind of ignore him unless he's right near the basket and uh he's not a threat from you know further out and if you're opposing center can just kind of basket hang because they don't have to respect him. Uh, I think against top level playoff teams, that's going to be a problem and that's going to put them at a deficit to start a lot of play of high level playoff games. And so that would still be my biggest worry for, for the Clippers team. Do we feel like Morris could play any small ball five and they can go five out between him and Jim and Jamichael green. I think you could, you there's, there's certainly lineups you can, you can play where you can put five shooters on the floor uh, I don't know if that works against the Lakers. Um, just I like the the Lakers might just be a little too big for that. I don't I don't know if yeah. any of those guys are credible on Anthony Davis. But against a lot of other teams, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, against say against Utah, it's like can whoever is matched up with keep Rudy Gobert off the offensive boards. That's yeah. that's going to be the swing. Sam, you and uh, and Jovan actually had a story a couple weeks ago about the sort of discord in the locker room and. With Montrez Harrell being in the last year of his deal, likely to get you know a good offer this summer, restricted free agency. I think everyone's expectation was that he was for sure getting moved. Uh, what happened there? Did he not have a market? Yeah, I just think, and Jovan and I have talked about this. When you look at his money, which remind me, Jovan, is it around seven? 
this year. Uh, six six million. Six. Yeah. So I mean, it just it hit a point. There's a, a a threshold where his productivity, like whatever you might think of the internal dynamics, and we tried to explore those certainly. And I guarantee you, you know, Doc Rivers in the past has been known to, you know, once he sours on a guy who might, you know, create any sort of internal anything, he might then go to the front office and say, yeah, I'm done with this guy. And, and Matt Barnes actually recently told a story about that where he became that guy. But Matt Barnes was never averaging, you know, the kind of numbers that Montrez is giving this team. And with, you know, their title hopes uh, looking as good as they are at this point, they were never going to get anything back from Montrez. It was going to replace what he was giving them in the here and the now. So I think they're willing to keep massaging that component. You know, Montrez said what he said early last month, and it's been talked about ad nauseum. They, they've won a bunch of ball games since then. You know, I do think that time continues to, you know, make this whole thing healthier as they all continue to get to know one another. And it's just in terms of just the actual productivity and, and the part that he played in their program, there was no way to, to get that value back uh, from what they saw if, if you were going to make a move. So they're likely to just let him walk in restricted free agency this summer? Yeah, I, I think the, the most likely scenario would be him either taking a discount with them, uh, but if that doesn't, you know, in them keeping them, if, if he doesn't take a discount, I, I do think they'll end up just letting him walk or flipping him in a sign and trade. Um, you know, I, I would be surprised if they end up paying him more than like 17, 18 million, which I've, I've talked to some people around the league that they think, you know, this was a few weeks ago. So maybe that's changed with, with the Hawks getting Capella and some of the other moves that have happened. Um, some people have said he could get as much as like 20 to 25 million. Uh, if you look at Rich Paul's history, uh, his guys tend to get paid more than you'd think. Um, you know, I look at someone like Corey Joseph in Sacramento and, and the deal he got. Um, I, I just think, I think Trez is going to get paid. It would not surprise me if he gets something like four years, 80 to a hundred million this summer. And if, if that's the range he's going to be in, I'd be shocked if the Clippers match that. Um, so the interesting part of this is the, the wizards. Uh, they've kind of turned into this team that just pops its head up every single time. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, team that needs a, a third team for a trade to work. Seth, this is an interesting corner to be on. I think this is, uh, you know, a firm believer in, in all the pieces mattering. And especially if you're a team where the wizards are, where you're trying to, to build something as I reverse the wire quote there, uh, you know, finding a way to, to insert yourself where you maybe don't belong and get a little extra something. I just, I like the, I like the finesse of that, that move. Like, you know, Jerome Robinson has shown a little bit. He's a you know, second year player who was a, a mid first round pick getting that for free just to, you know, pick up the phone. Basically that's, that's nice work. You do that a couple of times, you know, you get, you get yourself some, uh, opportunities for somebody to really pop. And then you've, you've, uh, you've kind of upgraded your talent base without, you know, any real risk on your part. So I, I just, I think that that was uh, re uh, really well done. And, and I just enjoy when front offices kind of uh, are opportunistic in ways to kind of accumulate assets for nothing. I mean, you, you look at over the years, how like Daryl Morey, for example, has been able to, to, you know, always seems to have just enough pieces to, to, to make big swings. Well, it's these little moves like this that let him accumulate those those kind of those those little pieces here and there, those extra cookies uh, that you can then use uh, in in a bigger deal. So I just yeah. I thought that was really really smart and and uh, enjoyed kind of the the uh, the direction from the the new front office in Washington. 
Yeah, and they did it uh, in the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, they got Mo Wagner and Isaac Bonga uh, and a second-round pick, literally just for taking the money uh, for two players that they actually liked in their drafts. So, you know, the, Jerome Robinson being another one. Fred Fred Katz uh, let me know that that they really liked them in the, the pre-draft stuff. So, yeah, really smart move from, from a front office. It's, uh, you know, looking better than the last regime. Andre Iguodala finally gets traded. Exactly what he was asking for. Uh, he gets moved along with Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill to Miami. Uh, the Grizzlies get Gorgie Dang, Dion Waiters, and Justice Winslow. And James Johnson winds up on the Timberwolves. Along with this trade, uh, Iguodala ag- agreed to an extension with Miami. Two years, $30 million. Uh, the, the second year of that extension is non-guaranteed uh, team option. Is this... this Seems to be what Andre wanted. He's going to a contender. No, I, I I think it makes sense. I mean, this is exactly what Andre wanted. He wanted to get to a place that has a chance to win a championship. I think in the East right now, two through five. I think I think Philly at six right now is almost on a third tier. I'm I'm dropping them a little bit, but two through five really is so bundled up. It's tight every day. It could be a different team, it's the second best team in the East right now. So he got what he wanted there from. And, and and the other thing too is he got an extension out of that, which surprised me. I I, I, I was caught off guard by that. Smart by Miami to make that second year a team option so that they can decide what they want to do, whether uh allows them to make a run at a, a big free agent who shall remain nameless, uh Giannis. Um but the uh the the thing for me for Miami is I don't know how much this really moves the needle for them. I have a lot of questions about a guy who's 36 hasn't played an NBA game in a very long time, just being able to jump in. I know they'll ramp him up slowly, but I still just don't trust him with his injury history, all that stuff. And that age, I honestly don't know if they're going to get that much out of him. I I think it's a lot to give up for a a 36 year old guy who, you know, I mean, what is he even going to play for them? I mean, he's going to be on the wing, but you know, is that going to be ignoring the the sort of the free Jay Crowder aspect of it? I, and I like Jay, but the Grizzlies were better this year when he wasn't on the court, quite a bit better. So he's not as good as Brandon Clark. Okay, okay, fair. I haven't decided yet whether Memphis's side of this deal or Minnesota's side of the Wiggins deal is my least favorite of this trade deadline. I I despise this deal for Memphis. Winslow has, has played a full season basically once. He can't stay healthy. Has has had one season of of being a credible shooter. Like there's a obviously everyone sees the defensive and playmaking talent, um, and in, in some ways he's kind of a he, and they've been compared. I believe he's kind of an Iguodala like player, but he's going to be paid for several more years, like a reasonable amount. But we're not really sure he's good. We're not sure he can stay on the floor. And you gave away cap space and roster spots. And two reasonable guys on expiring contracts. See, I, I like I like Georgie Dang. I, I think that I think that he works for them. Actually, to be to be fair, that part does rescue it a little bit for me. You're right. Uh, he's also you know overpaid, but he he he's possibly useful for them, though they're all of a sudden very crowded. Uh, in in kind of the the big spots between Valanciunas and 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 Gorgie and 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 Triple J and and Clark, if they if they play small. So, you know, yeah, he's a possibly useful player, but I still would have just much if they had done the deal where it was just Winslow for Iguodala, I would have liked it significantly more. 
Sure. Well, they're also they're also waving Dion Waiters, but the other side of it too, which though, makes it even worse. But but like here's the other side of it though. <laughs> when you talk about their 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 the the free uh, cap space, name the last free agent to sign in Memphis. Well, they I mean, just, no, but they don't. They, they don't, just but they saw don't. the value of having cap space though. Like the reason they have Iguodala and an extra first round pick is because hey, we got cap space and people want to move money. Let's use that. They just saw that, and then they next year when everyone's going to want to get the cap space for 2021, they decided to now with with you know flipping Johnson for for Jing, uh, and and uh, waving waiters. They now you know it's it's mechanically much more difficult for them to to be a facilitator in the way that Washington. We just talked about Washington being, and that's the way they had kind of operated. I've liked a lot of what their front office has done since the summer, kind of using that asset of space to pick up these extra assets here and there. And they just completely went the other way on this one. And I, I don't like it. I think that we just disagree on justice Winslow. I, I get what you're saying. Like he, he does have an injury, you know, history. Um, but when he can play, he's so good. And, and, you know, they've got this good young core. I, I think he would fit right in there as like a secondary playmaker next to jaw. Can he shoot? Yeah, he can shoot. I think. Yeah, right. <laughs> he, he, right. He can shoot. It's whether yeah. he can make them is a whole different story. Yeah. But he can shoot. Well, no, that part's I, easy. No, I think, I think it's I, the the bigger problem. I think is that he's he's also a somewhat reluctant shooter. I mean, I think that was you know we were to to bounce around just a little bit. That's almost the bigger difference between Harkless and Morris. Even though Morris is a very good three point shooter, uh, he's also a very willing three point shooter, and I think that like affects a defense. Almost more so than uh, than your percentage mate, because you know you're going to shoot. You know you're going you're to take that shot one out of every fifteen times down the floor. The other fourteen times that the, de- the defense is guarding you has a has can easily have a much bigger impact on the game than the difference between you shooting thirty nine and thirty five percent. But my point being is that Winslow is is you know may not be a ball stopper, but he's a record scratcher in that the ball will swing, he'll catch it like I, I don't know. And that hesitation can hurt an offense. And unlike the Clippers, the the Grizzlies do play with an offense with, that has a little bit of flow to it. So those that that kind of record scratch can, I think, be a problem there. And, but also, and and I just want to say, I, I misspoke. They weren't waving him. They're they're discussing a buyout, which would, which is different, right? Like it would yes. open up space for 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 them. So it's not like the end all be all there. If they get a buyout, they're the they're fine and i think that would that make you would that make you feel better seth or would that still I mean, make it, you it depends i mean it's still it depends on how much money he's going to give back you know how like it's not i can't imagine that there's a huge market for Deion waiters no, no. <laughs> you know there so what how much like how much is he giving back and you know if that amount is 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 small then that that then waving him buying him out whatever just become it doesn't become like an expiring salary. It becomes literally dead money that they can't use. So I just I think that this was a I think this was that part of the deal. Like like Winslow for Iguodala, I like I like that for both sides. Just that the other part of the trade, I I like just so much better for Miami than I do for Memphis. So let's think about the Iguodala Miami thing because I mean that's that's really the big piece in the trade. Uh, when we're looking at this season, is he going to basically be their point guard? They, you know, we, we've talked before about how some teams are becoming 
you know, more heliocentric. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Miami has gone almost completely the other way. They they share the ball amongst, you know, four, three, four, five guys on the court in terms of who's initiating actions and who's who's the primary playmaker on a given set, uh, almost as much as any team in the league, perhaps more. I mean, they, they run a lot of stuff through Bam at the elbows. They, you know, they use none at times. Hero runs some stuff sometimes. Uh, obviously, when Winslow was there and now Iggy will kind of sit in kind of fit more into that role as a playmaking three. So I don't know if he's going to be a, he's not going to be the point guard, but he's going to be a playmaker for them. Well, uh, moving on to the most surprising trade of the day for me uh, and potentially pointless. Um, Andre Drummond is no longer a Detroit Piston. He's been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for John Henson, Brandon Knight, and a 2023rd second round pick. Joining us to give us an inside view on <laughs> this crazy trade <laughs> is James Edwards, our beat writer for the Detroit Pistons. James, uh, I think, okay, I guess he's in the car. Um, I guess that Andre is not very happy about this move. There's a lot of things that go into this, but I'll just say this. Andre was very aware that the team was trying to trade him. Um, if the three to four weeks, five weeks of trade rumors wasn't enough to um, somebody, to people asking him last night after the game about it, uh, I was told by a source that when the stuff happened between Atlanta and Detroit, I think that was like one of the kind of the first bombs that Woj dropped at the beginning of the year to kind of open up trade season. Detroit involved Andre and his camp so much that they put his agent on the phone with the Hawks to try to work out a long-term deal um, that would that would help that trade go through. That the Hawks didn't want to do the trade if they couldn't get him to to stay on long-term. And so, obviously, Andre's agents talked to the Hawks and they felt that whatever Andre wanted was too much and they didn't do the deal. And but they kept him involved every step of the way. Obviously, when there's 40 minutes left between. Um, from when the trade happened to the deadline, they're not going to be able to inform him that he's going to Cleveland, but it's more than obvious that he was being shopped and that the Pistons were trying to shop him. The, he's going to, he's going to have an opportunity to opt out this summer. Do you have any indication on, on whether this makes it more likely for him? You know what guys, what I gathered during this process and I, and I wrote it in my story today, part of the reason that this return looks like this um, is because teams were not really offering anything or, backing away from Andre Drummond. Um, I was told by a couple of sources that there are people who question whether he's a winning player and it, it had as much, that had as much to do with his contract situation. So I don't think Detroit, if they kept him and, and he opted in that they would have been able to get anything better than this at the, in the summer. Um, and I don't think Andre opts in because I don't, or I don't think he opts out because I don't think he makes $28 million again in a season. Um, maybe that's different. Maybe they know something, obviously, that I don't know. But I, I, I think you guys would agree that it would be very uh, surprising if Andre's uh, pay grade didn't drop significantly if he hit the open market. Is the traditional center, guys, is it so dead that there is zero market for a 25, 26-year-old Andre Drummond? There is for a guy making $28 million next year. I mean, you're not getting as much out of that position I mean, obviously depending on your team and and how good they are i i, I don't think drum is definitely not on the level of like Embiid, you know who who that would be a different situation to put so, it mildly yeah <laughs> you know I, I i think that's the the challenge and that was the the challenge all along for 
the Pistons and trying to move him. And, and it's not surprising for them to come away with the least amount possible. Like, you know, I mean, the the haul they're getting back is is almost depressing, really. Like, I kind of feel bad for Drummond going like, that's all you guys got for me? I mean, didn't want to throw in like a bag of chips in there or anything or like, I mean, it, it, it kind of just hurts that way. Uh, James, there there were rumors about a lot of different players from the Pistons. I mean, any any reasoning why this was the only move they made? I mean, Derrick Rose seemed to have suitors. Obviously, they were working on a deal with the Suns for Luke Kennard. Um, any any insight on, you know, everyone was available, but only Drummond was moved. Uh, you got any insight there? So the guys that were most likely to move going into the deadline were Andre, uh, Derrick Rose, Luke Kennard, uh, Langston Galloway and Marquise Morris, the latter two who are on expiring deals. Um, Luke is a guy who teams called about him. Um, and again, this is the this front office is not the one that drafted him. So they're trying to kind of leave their imprint, maybe clear out the SVG guys. And there are real concerns about Luke's knees. Um, he's been out. He's missed the last 23 games with knee tendonitis. Um, he's been an effective player when he's played, but he has had some injury concerns and, uh, the Phoenix trade, from what I was told, is they wanted to turn around and put the protections on the pick, and the Pistons didn't want to do that. If the Pistons were going to get something close to a lottery pick, I think you'd see Luke Kennard gone, but I don't think that deal manifested. Um, and so they're going to kind of – they can wait until the summer. Luke Kennard is available for an extension this summer, but he still has one more year on his rookie deal. Um, I was told Langston Galloway and Marquise Morris just didn't have much value around the league, nothing that the Pistons were – like kind of needed to jump on. I, I know they like Langston. He's a professional. Um, he's a guy that if they're going to go on in this rebuild, he's a guy that I could see them re-signing as a, as a veteran that's kind of plays the right way and is, is good in the locker room. Marquise Morris is another guy I know popular to unpopular to some people. He's been a really good addition in the locker room um, and, and hasn't really. I, I think Detroit was maybe his best offer in free agency. I don't think there was much out there for him. Um, and Derrick Rose is interesting because I don't think they wanted to trade him. Uh, you hear the stuff about they want a high first-round pick. I think that was kind of to scare teams away. If they're going to go through a rebuild, they do want to have some veteran guys there that, that play hard. They're trying to build a culture, play hard, some guys that you, young players can model themselves after. And Derrick's on a team-friendly deal. They could always trade him this summer, always next deadline. Um, I, I, the Derrick Rose one I'm not as much kind of bent out of shape with and then learning – that LG and Marquise Morris just didn't have much value makes sense to me. Um, I, I think Andre was the one that really needed to get traded. And while the return isn't uh, grand by any means, I, I still think I count it as a win for the Pistons who are trying to, to rebuild. Um, there's only so much they can do with Blake on the books. This was kind of the first domino they needed. Reggie Jackson expires this summer. And, now this front office, which has kind of not been able to really do anything because of the, the mess that Stan Van Gundy and company left them in, they now have a chance to kind of leave their imprint on the organization. And I don't think they wanted to wait another year where Drummond opts in, then they're basically going to have to run the whole team back, and this thing is just prolonged for another season. Of the real contenders, let's say, you know, let's let's say there's six or seven. The Clippers made a big move, and the Sixers, a medium move. For, compared to the other moves today, it was pretty big. The Sixers, who have now been pushed down in Moe's power rankings, uh, they they traded for Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson the third. How do we feel about that move? I mean, it was for three like mid fifties second rounders. So like they basically added two NBA players for free, which you can't you can't be mad at. 
Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how much it does for them. I think it, it probably gives them, uh, uh, some, some, you know, in, in baseball parlance, you'd probably call these guys innings eaters so that they can maybe like keep some tread on the tires of their, of their, of their top guys and, and, you know, not try to like rush Josh Richardson back from injury and stuff like that. And, and Glenn Robinson probably has uh, Robinson, especially probably has some, some utility as a, as a floor spacer, uh, in, in kind of smaller ball lineups. Um, uh, Alec Burks has, has shown the ability to shoot, but again, he's another one of those guys who likes to play with the ball in his hands a little bit. So isn't necessarily, as quick on the trigger from like a catch and shoot standpoint that would kind of fit in with how, how, uh, they would ideally play. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's not nothing, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a season changing move for them by any stretch. Uh, let's just be honest. The Sixers problems right now have nothing to do with on the court. It's how they're approaching the game. It's how they're attacking. I mean, we're watching them play games and they're playing them with very little, heart sometimes you know i think that's really their issues like these trades are nice and it's like seth said they essentially got two nba players for free and they'll have to figure out how to work them in the rotation and they dumped james ennis trying to trying to clear minutes and 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 whatnot but at the end of the day for the sixers how hard are they going to play night in and night out like this is it's it's frustrating to watch it's in that sense, like, you know, we thought they were going to be a really solid and great defensive team, but their effort defensively at times is so bad. It's just kind of embarrassing. And so, you know, it's, it's, they're the biggest disappointment so far this season. And that when you watch them play, it's just like, you have a chance to really kind of figure these things out. And, and early on, we, we, we never expected their offense to be good or, or look pretty, but we expected their defense to be solid. And and I'll given up. 137 to Miami, even though Miami's good, like you got to get up for that game and you got to be ready to defend their problems. It's not a trade. That's their issues. It's not, it's their problems right now are are how they're approaching games and how hard they're going to play in these games. Well, uh, that is all the trades from deadline day. Uh, Seth, do you have any, any closing thoughts? Not, not really. Um, it's, it's, you know, there it's, it's weird. We had some kind of trades that were, like much ballyhooed, but I don't think we had saw anything that was really impactful on kind of the playoff race. I mean, with the possible exception of Houston leaning all in to let's get weird. Um, that's, that's just a, that's kind of a huge wild card. I don't think it'll work, but it probably has a better chance of, of being crazy enough to work than them trying to like muddle through with what they had. But other than that, I mean, you had, you know, what's the the biggest deal today? The one we led with was, you know, uh, swapping of, uh, shall we say, distressed assets amongst two lottery teams and guys who are high draft picks, so they're big names. Um, but everything else was more around the edges, I think. Uh, Mo, got any closing thoughts here? I, I kind of just wish the uh, the Heat found a way to get Gallinari. That would have been uh, make things a lot more interesting and more fun. Uh but I'm uh, all eyes now are on Darren Collison, who's probably going to end up with the Lakers. It looks like a uh, uh, second also ball. Jared Smith. Jared Smith with an audition. So I mean, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting. Like that's we we kind of always knew the Lakers didn't have any trade assets uh, beyond Kuzma, but that was probably hard to pull off to begin with because of salaries. So you know, for them, it's going to be what they bring into the bio market and. Kind of curious what's going to happen with Tristan Thompson now that Andre Drummond's in Cleveland. Uh, if there's going to be a buyout there and what, what his market would look like. 
I kind of wanted to ask James uh, about like how much of of Drummond being upset was like a going to Cleveland and another kind of bad situation, but also a bad situation where it's going to be a little harder for him to show out just because they've got you know guys at the same sort of position as as him. Um, so I, I wonder how much of of kind of his annoyance is is that versus the fact of it. And I'm, we'll, we'll probably never know, but that's just that's what something that struck me. Yeah, uh, for me is it was the Thunder deciding. You know what? Uh, we're we're fine being pretty good, and uh, we've got enough assets, and maybe they're going to re-sign Gallinari. Uh, th- there were reports that he's actually pretty happy there, and things are going well. So uh, I think the Thunder they've had a very very interesting you know three quarters of a year, not just on the court, but obviously starting with the the Russell Westbrook trade and. And everything that they've done since, so um, they were willing to move Gallinari. It was just Miami couldn't come up with a uh, a, a contract well, extension that would have. Well, also everybody's movable for the price, right? Like, so I, mean, I also it was, the reason why it didn't happen is because Gallinari and the Heat couldn't come to an agreement on a contract or an extension. I mean, what what was going to what was going to OKC in that in that trade is also part of it. I mean, I think yeah. Uh, yeah. you know. Uh, I'm I'm surprised I am surprised Miami like was able to add rotation pieces without touching you know they 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 kept obviously Tyler, Tyler Hero they kept Duncan Robinson they kept Derek Jones they kept Kendrick Nunn and they upgraded their team so like again uh I I think that's a maybe it's a disagreement about Winslow or just the fact that he just can't stay on the court. Like, you know, that's a, that's some pretty good additions for not a whole lot from the guys who are currently helping you win. Yep. Well, that's it for this week's show. Uh, special thanks to Sam Amick, Marcus Thompson, Yovan Buha, James Edwards, and, uh, you know, thanks for Mo and Seth always being here to help me out. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of Nerder She Wrote. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.